1: the most valuable business making your money work harder that's how you business differently intuit quickbooks banking services provided by green dot bank member fdic only funds and envelopes or an apy apy can change at any time this is recode media with peter Kafka. that is me back in brooklyn probably for the duration of the year i think Uh, Very excited to talk to Ben Collins, who's also in New York City. Ben is a byline you have probably read sometime, maybe more than once, probably several times in the last year, because he works at NBC News and his beat is disinformation, generally. And for quite some time, he's been writing a lot about QAnon, which is obviously in the news and is going to be in the news for a while. And I want to take some time to pick Ben's brain to understand what QAnon is and more important sort of how the media should be thinking about writing about it, talking about it and and sort of what is to be done. Welcome, Ben.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Peter. This is really exciting. It's Again, not that exciting. long time, first time. <laughs> it's just a podcast, uh, but you're doing yeah, great yeah. work.
1: Uh, you and your colleagues, uh, Brandy Ziradzi, did I get that right? I practiced yeah, close, it. Yeah, close enough. Sure. I've yeah. uh, been doing a lot of work at NBC News. I think sort of one of the definitive sources about QAnon
2: news in general. And this is what, but a uh, beat you've been on for a couple years, I think? Yeah, I've been on the, the Q beat for two years, but I've been covering uh, disinformation for about five years, five or six years now.
1: I was Googling. I was trying to remember when I remember reading about Roseanne Barr retweeting QAnon stuff. That was the first time I'd ever heard about it. And that was two years
2: ago. Yeah, she was early. She was early in on this grift, I think. Yeah. So you describe it as a grift. A lot of people call
1: it a <laughs> conspiracy theory. What, what does BuzzFeed call it now? I was just reading that. They're calling it a, a collective, collective, delusion. collective delusion. And I got to say the fact that when Roseanne Barr was tweeting about it, that was kind of important to me just because it, it sort of helped me understand what to think or not think about this. I thought, oh, Roseanne Barr is not a stable person. This is some weird shit she found online. And so whenever I heard about QAnon for quite some time after that, I thought, all right, this is something that appeals to people who aren't all there and people who have some sort of damage and, you know, it's disappointing, but the internet's full of that. When did Q go from being sort of a fringe, fringe thing that Roseanne Barr was tweeting about to a significant force in American life and in American political life?
2: I think the pandemic had a ton to do with this. A lot of people were stuck at home with a lot of time in their hands and YouTube or Google rabbit holes, things like that, that was a novel concept to a lot of people. Um, it isn't to us. We've been around the internet forever. Um, but I compare, you know, I'm, I'm 32. I grew up with Loose Change was the first rabbit hole that we had. You know, we downloaded it from LimeWire. It was this like hidden information, right? Loose Change I don't, was the I first don't know na- what Loose Change is. Yeah, yeah. It's the first 9-11 conspiracy movie where found footage or oh, supposed oh, found yeah, footage. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah was all collected together into this video you could download off of LimeWire. Sometimes you would download like a Limp Bizkit song and you would accidentally get loose change. <laughs> like that's that's how it was back in the day. But that sort of seductive, like, you know, oh my God, there's answers out there that combine everything in the world into one easy package. That's what happened to me when I was 12 or 13. I was living in the woods. I had no prospects. I had nothing to do. And you know what? That's what happened with a lot of people during the pandemic. You know, their lives were upended by precarious work situations, maybe somebody in their family got sick and there was no real easy answer for this. And with QAnon, there's a very easy answer. It's the bad guys are controlling the government. They're telling you to wear a mask because slaves wear masks in this environment. And it outs you as a part of the cabal. So let's let's back up and explain. It's very easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like so it's it's fascinating. I did not I had it's even though it's been sitting right in front of me for months, I didn't track it with the pandemic, I think about a boom in Netflix consumption and right. and you know, there's no sports and that drives TV ratings down. Um I hadn't considered the the pandemic QAnon connection. So, we don't need to go deep into what QAnon is, but the basic tenets of it are what?
2: The basic idea is that QAnon, it's the very basic premise Q is this guy who is a secret government insider. Uh, He posts on what is now the next iteration of 8chan, which is called 8kun, a message board that is just riddled with extremists and terrible stuff. On there, Q claims to uh, know about this secret cabal that's running the world, filled with Democrats and celebrities, and this cabal solely exists to traffic and eat children. Sounds nuts, sounds bananas, and you're thinking, How could anyone actually believe this? But people actually do believe this. People really do believe this. And it's in part because it's been taken from 8chan, repackaged as mythology on other parts of the internet, on YouTube, on Instagram, um, sometimes by like wellness influencers, sometimes by people, you know, normal people you'd meet down the street. And it has provided a lot of very simple, wrapped up answers for a lot of complicated problems we have in the world. For example, in their world, like we're just talking about, the pandemic isn't this global sickness that happened that the United States can't get a control on. It is a a cover for some other deep state plot. And once that happens, like you don't feel bad about going to the supermarket without a mask on you think you're part of a in group. So that's that's where we're at now. It's like it is it's become an all-encompassing ideology.
1: Right. Yeah. I was gonna say there's several different threads and you just said it's all encompassing, but it's it's like when I first heard about it, I was hearing about it in context with Trump and the idea that it was explaining everything that Trump was doing and things that to you and me and a rational observer looked like batshit bad ideas Trump was was involved in or dumb things he was saying or obvious lies. These were all sort of explained as, ah, he's luring people into he's he's on top of it. He's advocating on behalf of us. So anything that Donald Trump says or does can be explained away by Q. It also tracks with a well-meaning concern that a lot of people have about safety for children. Um, And the idea that that children can be abused online, which is one, a real thing, and two, a thing that taps into a lot of people's sort of deep, I think, primal emotions. Um, And then I think it encompasses, based on what I've been reading from you, everything else, right? You can throw anything else into the mix at this point. So it's seductive
2: to a lot of people. That's correct. So initially it had a lot of hold with Trump supporters because he didn't make mistakes in the Q universe. If he misspelled something in a tweet— that was a missing letter in the code, right? Kafefe means something to them that is just wild. I can't even explain it in twenty minutes. It would take me a long time. So to them, you know, he is playing what they call five-dimensional chess, or you know, three hundred-dimensional chess at this point, where every mistake he makes is just an allusion to this global plot, and he had to make that mistake publicly to uh, allude to this larger win that he's having. Right. So that that's initially again, like you said. That's really fun and seductive to Trump supporters because in the QAnon universe, he's omnipotent. He knows everything uh, and he can control everything. So that's how it originally got a foothold. But since then, it's expanded based on stranger danger, satanic panic, all these older conspiracy theories have folded into this because once you create a universe that's the opposite of reality, there are no rules. You can just add anybody into that mix as long as they're into magical thinking.
1: Right, and sometimes I'll say, "Oh, this is tracking with you know the the blood libel, the anti-Semitic uh, uh, slurs, and the protocols of Zion." And I want to hear what you think. But to me, it just seems like you can now add anything into this, and it will sort of echo everything because it is everything. You said this is all sort of distributed from a single poster on on Eight kun
2: Yes. So there is a group of people or a guy who have access to an account. Um, it, it also, account. So it
1: comes from one account. It, it's not, it it's from not, one it's not being propagated elsewhere.
2: Right. It comes from one account. Now other people have added their own mythology because the, the posts aren't like, tom- not anymore, at least the posts aren't like tomorrow, Donald Trump will do this thing. It is literally written in fake code. It's made to look like almost like a Zodiac style thing. So you can interpret whatever you want on top of that thing. So it has like biblical levels of mythology at this point. That's why people can, in fact, put on whatever they want. And they have recently. So it's not just about Trump support now. And I, th- I think that's the scary thing that I've seen recently is that your average Q supporter joining now is a mom in the suburbs or a rural area who are receiving text messages or in Facebook groups, private Facebook groups, these things saying, you know, did you know that Donald Trump just secretly arrested This massive group of pedophiles and the media isn't talking about it. And in that group, they talk about this stuff and you don't notice that this is happening in the real world if you're a reporter until they show up on the street uh, holding save the children signs, totally disconnected talking point wise from the initial post from Q.
1: Right, so it starts on a place, but now can propagate lots of different places. And increasingly it seems like there's lots of QAnon inflected stuff going on that maybe didn't originate as a QAnon idea, but QAnon is added into that. Uh, I'm gonna talk about politics separately in a second, but last week and over the last couple of days, uh, the Netflix controversy over its movie Cuties came up and and I I again had not heard about it until it showed up in my feed last week. And it was initially I was looking at, oh, this is a combination of of well-meaning concern about child sexualization on TV and maybe this isn't appropriate for me or my family to watch and, and what do they do to these kids who are in the movie um, with some, I, I think, you know, um, not well-meaning, cynical uh, uh, work on behalf of people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. And it took me a couple of days to realize, oh, no, this is also a QAnon thing, right? This this melds perfectly with a QAnon view of the world that Netflix is somehow propagating abusive children.
2: Yeah, I, I do want to stress that there are two far-right talking points that are separate of QAnon that are very 4chan-focused that seeded this narrative. By the way, the QDs thing, It is a movie on Netflix that is supposed to it's supposed to highlight the differences between growing up in sort of like orthodox style religious communities and coming to America where everything is hypersexualized, especially for young children. It's supposed to be a play on that. It's supposed to show a critique of 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 this. But people took this as uh, an endorsement because they didn't actually watch the movie. They clipped up
1: the. Movie. And you can also imagine how someone with real concerns about the hypersexualization totally. of children might look at that and go, "Yeah, I don't like this." And and they may have nothing to do with QAnon, but they sort of get folded into what uh, a movement that becomes a QAnon thing.
2: QAnon loves the absence of nuance. That's the point of it. It's uh, you know, there are bad guys running the world. We must physically eliminate them from society. That's the point of QAnon. Right? Is that Democrats are secret pedophiles and you have to kill them and get rid of them. That's the point of this. It's the end of QAnon to them is uh, they believe that there is going to be an event where all of the Democrats and Hollywood pedophiles are rounded up and marched down the street, literally to their execution. Uh, and then sent to or some of them will be sent to Guantanamo Bay for a trial beforehand. That's literally what, the, there's an end game here. That's like a whole part of their mythology. So, you know, that black and white stuff works really well for them. And if you clip up 15 seconds from that movie and put it on Twitter, works really good. By the way, I want to mention this really quickly. With 4 specifically, they've been on this path for years, trying to tie the LGBTQ community to Pedophilia.
1: Four chan is a, a, at this point, sort of a relatively venerable message board for that. It initially was just supposed to be a place where you could post anything, and inevitably got hijacked by sort of the worst elements of the internet. And then when when they when it got too extreme, even four chan went to eight chan, and now that has become eight gun. So there's always another level.
2: Yeah, exactly. So Q started on four chan. Um, he accidentally leaked his password. He had to go to eight chan from there. HM was created because, like you said, they, they started to have rules on 4chan about child pornography, which <laughs> is incredible that this is how th- this ended up. Like, you know, Q posts on a website known for being a safe haven for child pornographers, even though it's this thing about taking that child pornography. It's, it's a long, crazy thing. But on 4chan in the last few years, they have been posing as gays and lesbians on Twitter to try to link gays and lesbians to... Uh, a pedophilia movement. Uh, this is deeply homophobic. This is horrific stuff. I actually talked to uh, a gay travel blogger who had his identity stolen last year by people on 4chan for trying to. Who, who you know, the the whole point of this account was to try to tie uh, the gay rights movement to the like a pedophilia rights movement. It's nuts, and he he was horrified to have his identity stolen. This is a long campaign, a very anti-liberal campaign. Not like, you know, I I mean like liberal in the sense that you can do what you want, not the Mm -hmm. political ideology. To discredit, you know, freedom for people in the LGBTQ community. And also it's deeply anti-Semitic, as we've talked about too, uh, you know, with the blood libel stuff. This is based on the oldest possible trope against Jews. So all of this stuff feeds into these things. And then by the time, like you said, by the time it gets out to the public, into a public narrative, it doesn't even appear like QAnon anymore. It looks like something else, but it's about just generally child trafficking and these baseless conspiracy theories that aren't really how child trafficking happens. One of the difficulties of assessing something
1: that lives on the internet is you can't tell how big and pervasive it is because it's the internet and no one knows you're a dog. Um, and the internet's also a force multiplier, right? There's one thing to like be actively involved in something and maybe showing up in a protest or so thing to be joining in a message board or just liking a tweet. You and, and other folks have tried to sort of guesstimate how big how many people sort of are following or engaged in this movement worldwide? What's your best guess right now?
2: My guess is it's in the millions, the polling on this is horrific. It, it shows it like somewhere between like 2% of Republicans and 56. So that's a really wide net. What we do know is that there were 3 million accounts on Facebook tied to these incredibly overt QAnon accounts that were taken down by Facebook. These are ones with QAnon in the name, the largest Facebook groups with QAnon in it public groups. So that's 3 million people in those public groups. Now there are private groups about QAnon. There are ones that are crypto QAnon groups without Q in the name that still exist on Facebook. And that those have some different people in them as well. So we are in the millions of people who believe in this stuff.
1: And it's going to get bigger, right? Because you already have Donald Trump being asked about it in press conferences. So even if you hadn't heard about QAnon, you're like, well, what is that? I'm interested in this. And And Trump being Trump, um, wouldn't condemn it. It's unclear to me whether he has any idea whether it, he knows what it, he knows what it is or he's heard about it and people don't like it, so he likes it. Um, there will be a congresswoman this fall elected who is a Q supporter. Um, at least one, I guess, right? How did Q get connected to Republican politics? Or is it just as simple as it was always connected
2: to it because it was a Donald Trump sort of supportive idea? Um, it's a combination. Of those two things, you know, if you are a hardcore Republican, if you're a hardcore Trump guy, it would feel really good to believe in this conspiracy theory because all of his failures are just washed away and they're not even failures. They're secretly great things for you in the country. And over the last 20 years, there have been, or 30 years, really, there has been this constant new conspiracy theory around every corner with the right. Um, that happened on talk radio, that happened in literal newsletters that were sent around by like Rand Paul 30 years ago, mm-hmm. right? All of this stuff gets combined into QAnon. It's not just the next conspiracy theory, it's like the Hydra. It's like the it's like the end boss, it's the final boss of the conspiracy theory. You know, Jade Helm is involved in this, the idea that there's like secret government military coups happening, every Clinton conspiracy theory is involved in this. All of those are wrapped up into this. So it allows you to say, oh man, I wasn't wrong about that thing that wound up being total garbage. I was right all along. All of them were right all along. So it has these deep seeds in the mythology of the far-right conspiracy ecosystem that's been around for 30 years. It's been around in rural areas, tied to militia groups, tied to conspiracy theorists on the radio. And this allows your identity to be completely absolved of all the crazy stuff you believed over the last few years because it turns out it was right all along.
1: If I'm on the outside and I'm not spending a lot of time thinking about this and I hear someone ranting about a conspiracy theory and let's say it's, it's Antifa is getting on planes and flying across the country to, to wreak havoc in your town, should I assume that all of it eventually gets sucked up into the QAnon universe or are there different distinct conspiracy theories? And just because someone believes that can, Antifa is coming to your town and is going to set Oregon ablaze, it doesn't mean that they're a part of the QAnon ideology.
2: Uh, it's like, so oh, like, you know, uh, circle is sometimes an oval. I'm I'm sorry. I'm bad at geometry. I don't know what's happening yeah. here, but like, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it, you can separately believe that Antifa is coming to your town and to set your house on fire, but not believe in Q. But if you believe in Q, you believe that Antifa is coming to your house to set your house on fire. In fact, all this, this past weekend, that's all that Q was posting about was the secret Antifa army setting the world on fire. So and it moves, that it moves really on. Mean? It doesn't. It yeah. doesn't.
1: It doesn't restrain itself to to simply totally. uh, child endangerment. If there's a new thing out there, it can absorb that.
2: Every event means something in QAnon. That's a national news event. Whether it's you know the the wildfires or or the president messing up a tweet, it means something, and it can, it always serves to help the president. It always serves to say that you know Democrats are the evil people here, um, and that's by the way, like you said at the very start of this podcast, you said. I thought it was people bored, you know, people, you know, maybe it's in place of religion and it is, you know, this is, it's the thought process that everything means something and the bad guys are behind every bad thing and the good guys are here to stop it. And that's a, you know, this is, uh, the, one of the very first conspiracy theory, uh, conspiracy theory researchers, his name is Brian Keeley out of Pitzer college in, uh, in, in California. He said this all the time. He, you know, he said that, Since the 1990s, there has been a running kind of conspiracy theory that has taken the place of religion that says, you know, um, in his book, he says to them, shit doesn't just happen. Everything means something. And conspiracy
1: theories predate mass media, right? Totally. Yeah. They're, they're as old as it gets. Obviously, you can imagine what the internet does to all of that. I want to talk to you about Facebook and Twitter and and their complicity and responsibility in this. I'm trying to find a nice segue so we can stop and, and hear from a fine <laughs> advertiser. And I don't have a fine segue, but we are going to stop. We're going to hear from a fine advertiser, maybe two. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline
1: back here with ben collins from nbc news you described this at the very beginning as a grift and that was one of my questions right because obviously there are people who are well-meaning it's it's hard to describe them as well-meaning but they, they think they're helping and there's people who have political ideology wrapped in this but i'm assuming it's on the internet when anything gets to any sort of size on the Internet, someone says, oh, there's a money-making opportunity here. We saw this in 2016 where there were people who had a, a real political agenda for pushing fake news. We, we subsequently have discovered uh, that involved nation states as well, starting with Russia. Um, and there's also kids in Macedonia pumping out fake news because they could make money doing it. What's your sense of sort of the the QAnon industry and what slice of QAnon is people who are believers or you know, interested versus people who are just cynically pumping out shit because they, they there's money in it. And then how do they make money from QAnon?
2: Sure. So there are absolutely true believers. There's no question about that. Those people are the marks here, just like every other grift. You know, there are more marks than there are people in on it. That's how it goes. In terms of how people make money, the very first people who sort of found and propagated QAnon, so it didn't just remain on 4chan and 8chan, it got out to Reddit, it got out to Twitter and YouTube, and then exploded from there, those people started a 24-7 YouTube channel, you know, that takes donations to Patreon, they sell shirts, they do all that stuff. I'm assuming, and, you know, they, I'm and, assuming
1: there's not a lot of ad money. I'm assuming at this point <laughs> YouTube is yeah. not allowing them to sell ads directly.
2: That's correct. But at the start of all this, they there was a lot of ad money. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, at the start of all this, there were apps on app stores and Apple and uh, the Android app store that, you know, were at the top of the charts. They were in the top fifty. Uh, and they were selling for a buck and they were tied to you know these larger QAnon post aggregators where you know you could decode this stuff with the community. So there's a lot of money in this uh, for people who you know otherwise would not have this kind of job, a media job in a traditional sense, right? But now they're make, they're making money hand over foot here. They're really they're they're raking it in comparatively to whatever their previous life was in terms of conspiracy money.
1: When you talk about a cult, I don't think we've ever used the word cult in this discussion. And in, in my impression of the of a cult is usually there's a, a sort of a pyramid, there's a person or entity at the top, and that person sort of controls it and is the most obvious beneficiary. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. It seems like if you want to get in on profiting from Q, you could start today. You could start a web page, right? Yeah. There was a, a Bloomberg story this weekend about a guy who does IT for one of the big banks. Although he apparently is, apparently is a believer, but he had started his own page. It was a well, it was a well-traffic page, and it just got shut down. I'm assuming part of the appeal and part of the reason this stuff can grow as quickly as anyone can jump on it.
2: Yeah, exactly. By the way, that website that got shut down is called Qmap, was uh, a top 2,500 site in the world. And he, apparently, he probably took it down after all this stuff happened because he had like a family and a life. Probably didn't want to be associated with this that publicly. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a cult in mean, the same way Scientology or something like that is. It's like it has MLM dynamics. And you see the same people falling forward on Facebook as well, where there are root believers at the bottom and right. there are people in the middle who are like, you know, trying to make some money off it while they're true believers. There are people at the top who know for a fact this isn't real, who are. You know, but but usually with an MLM, right, like it
1: them. does it does, you know, it does funnel up to a, a central point and you can say, yep. oh, that's that's the person steering it. And I think if you are trying to get a handle on this, either because you're curious about it or maybe you're a Facebook or Twitter and you're actually trying to, like, figure out how to how to resolve this problem. It's got to be extra frustrating because there is no central point. Um, it's spread out. I have not read as much QAnon uh, uh, research as I as I should have. God but bless I, you, man. But, I, but I haven't <laughs> seen people talking to me about what seems to be pretty obvious. I would assume that if you had Russia and other state actors trying to mess with the 2016 election um, with variants of fake news, they'd be all over QAnon. And then a lot of this would come not from people who had a, a financial motivation, but because they wanted to screw with this country or other countries. Have people, are people looking at that?
2: Yeah, so it's a dream for Russia, right? The The whole idea that the United States government is run by criminals who are the worst kind of criminal, right? child-eating criminals it's perfect it's exactly what they want uh and we have seen you know since even early 2019 accounts identified as russian disinformation accounts amplifying q that doesn't mean by the way that q is a russian asset or is a russian guy i would be very 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 surprised It's just a, like look case. if
1: you guys are going to create this this vector yeah. for us to exploit of course we will thank you very
2: much yeah no, that's And that's how they've always worked, right? You know, they, they have always taken these little fractures or these little conspiracies in the United States and sort of like bubbling up to the surface and then amplified them to the point where they became something that you actually have to talk about at a dinner table and then discuss that instead of, you know, the actual issues going on in the country.
1: I want to stop here and play devil's advocate. What is sure. wrong with one, either trying to help uh save children or being actively concerned that children are being abused or two having dumb ideas um that are obviously (laughs) not true and are stupid but you're not harming anyone right the internet lets you be as dumb publicly as you want to be why should we care that a lot of people believe a dumb idea or multiple dumb ideas again as we've been talking about that's not a new concept
2: really good point on both of them one the first thing you talked about look you should care about child trafficking it's a real thing it exists it does not exist in the way that they are talking about it child trafficking and you know child sex abuse and you know even human trafficking which is separate of this whole thing to them that doesn't exist in this world where there is one group trying to sell you children on wayfair that is not how this works and if you talk to advocates like the Polaris Project, which exclusively deals with this sort of thing—human trafficking—how to stop it. They have tip lines, and those tip lines are inundated with QAnon people saying, "Did you see this post? Did you see this post on Wayfair of?" Uh, of a cabinet that costs too much, I'm sure they're selling children in it. It's a real conspiracy. It's
1: a $10,000 cabinet, right? That yeah, was the idea. Exactly, right? yeah. Apparently Which there's is, some defaults where if there's something that happens where there's a, a group of things that just get called, that, that are priced at $10,000 on Wayfair, and they took that as a signal that these are child transportation cabinets.
2: Right, exactly. And it's an SEO problem, not a human trafficking problem. So that's the problem, is that it interferes with real justice in this situation where they're almost entirely human trafficked people, uh, child trafficked people are abducted or taken by people in their own lives who are not connected to these larger rings of people or something. And, you know, it's not done in these spooky ways that they talk about on Facebook where, you know, a three-year-old white girl named Ashley is just, you know, picked up at the mall and just Mm -hmm. shoved, you know, into child sex slavery. That is, that is extraordinarily rare. And, That's the problem. That you know, people who work in this space want this to stop because it's interfering in their actual work. Now, in terms of like, why should we care? This is just dumb stuff on the internet. That's actually how I got in this beat. Um, You know, five years ago, five years ago, this month actually, my friend uh, Chris Hurst, who is now a delegate in Virginia, he was an anchor in Roanoke, Virginia five years ago, and his girlfriend Allison Parker, who he was living with at the time, uh, was shot and killed on live TV. She was doing a stand-up. At an amusement park. I remember this story. Yeah. And um uh, a disgruntled employee came and shot her and the cameraman. And uh it was awful. It was a terrible thing to deal with and to think about. Um I didn't write about it at the time because I was too close to it. I was like I'm not gonna it's too much. I was working at the Daily Beast. But then over the next couple of weeks I went to check Chris's name. I went to check Allison's name. I want to see where I like donate money <laughs> or something or like you know help anyway. And I saw that the top results on Google and YouTube and Facebook were all calling Chris a crisis actor and saying, Alison didn't really exist. How come I haven't heard of this woman until now? Because she's a local reporter, <laughs> at a, a local affiliate. And it just made their life, which was already completely ruined, impossible. Like it made it a hundred times worse. If you get wrapped up into the mythology of these people, you just you have no agency anymore. That's it. So even just like beyond like if we should be having fictitious conversations about uh, if Hillary Clinton is you know trafficking all these people mm-hmm. all the time instead of talking about politics, has real life actual impact and I, that's you know when we cover this stuff, Brandy and I you know we are our first focus is on the victims of this stuff who is the actual victim not the not the invisible victim in the sky but the actual victims of this stuff and how do we make it so their lives aren't completely ruined by the internet I
1: do want to make one more point push and it's not a bad faith argument, but something I think about, which is again, it's a wide world. The internet reaches a lot of people. There's a lot of disturbed people. You don't need a lot of them to create problems and the disturbed people are triggered by lots of different things. Um, and and inevitably, this becomes a sort of left-right discussion. you'll say, "Oh, what about the guy in Portland who who shot the the pro-Trump guy in the head?" Mm-hmm. Um, or the the guy who shot uh, shot up the congressional softball team. He was a Bernie supporter, as I recall. And then every. Most articles I see about QAnon inevitably say, "Yeah, the FBI has described these guys as a a domestic terrorist group. That seems to be significant. And when you click, you always end up on the same Yahoo News report, which is referring to a memo that came out of the FBI Phoenix office, which doesn't mean it's not a thing. But I worry a little bit about sort of making this seem like it's created an army of disturbed people who are wreaking havoc in everyday life as opposed to it's misleading a lot of gullible people, which is also bad but different. Does that distinction make sense? It makes complete sense to me.
2: Um, you know, I I worry about that too. And I've worried about it since we started covering it. In fact, we didn't start covering it until, you know, it started showing up at Trump rallies. And we always have sort of a barometer for when stuff gets to the point where are we accidentally am we amplifying this thing? Or are we turning it into mm-hmm. something... Uh, much bigger than it should be. You know, there's a great report called The Oxygen of Amplification, which talks about exactly this. Um, Are you giving these people press? Are you allowing these people to become famous and rich off of a terrible thing? And I think we crossed that line a while ago. At the start of the pandemic, a lot of things happened that we didn't even note as a national media because the pandemic had taken over. And we shouldn't have. Like, we should have been exclusively focused on public health. But... There was a guy who hijacked a train to try to crash it into a boat because he thought the boat had the children in it. That was in San Diego. There was a woman who went to another boat in New York City because she thought that Joe Biden was trafficking the children in it. She had a cash full of knives that was in the back of her car. There have been murders tied to this thing. There are lots of real world so, uh, impacts. The one, the one,
1: the one that struck me was again, the Gambino
2: uh, boss. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. There's a guy. There's a murder in Staten Island that just looked to anyone who's ever watched, you know, Goodfellas or Mean Streets or any 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 mob movie ever. Uh, like, oh, this is a mob hit. How exciting and 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 scintillating! And it turns out, no, it's an emotionally disturbed guy who believed he was involved in QAnon in some way. Um, but I, I do think about that a lot too. Like, what what is the distinction yeah. between? an emotionally disturbed person who was probably going to do this anyway or would have done something else versus someone who was acting inspired by QAnon? Do we think, again, it's, it's wrong to fixate on any particular act of violence, but I do wonder, would mm-hmm. these people have acted out and acted badly anyway, and this was the thing they they clung to as opposed to some other bit, bit of flotsam that came through the internet?
2: Yeah, no, like this, that's a really good point, and I think that's the thing with conspiracy theories. It takes people who are on the edge, over the edge, and it takes some people who are in precarious positions to the edge. And you can't really, like, you can't demarcate where each one, each person is. I mean, right? I, I'm old, it, so yeah. I remember
1: growing up in the 80s when people were worried about kids killing themselves because they listened to heavy metal music. And if you played this yep. record backwards, it told you to kill yourself. And again, people killed themselves, and people did listen to, to Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and as a kid, you're like, look, it's very clear that no one killed <laughs> themselves because they listened to Ozzy. <laughs> Now that I'm old, I'm going, I could see that if I was an adult, I wouldn't be cool about having my kid who may be susceptible listening to demonic messages, even if it's all a bunch of bullshit. And if I'm not sophisticated about it, I would certainly latch on to this idea that, that Ozzy Osbourne killed my kid or whatever the, whatever the argument was.
2: Yeah, no, there's no question about that. And I, I, look, we are inundated with people in our lives who have lost their mom or aunt or something down a conspiracy level. They can't talk to them anymore. And now that's not a number that you can assign to somebody. There, There is no data for that. That doesn't show up in a crime log and you don't, you don't want it to. But there's this underground whisper network of people telling people that their neighbor is part of the satanic cabal. Now, does that have historical precedent? Yeah, there's tons of historical precedent. Is it one of the times where it's like the satanic panic and there are you know, a handful of terrible instances of people being arrested for stuff they didn't do, and America gets over it because they realize this stuff isn't real. It's possible, totally possible. But is it is it like a you know a Salem witch trial situation where this sort of takes over the, the politics of of an area and people who believe this stuff are elected? It might be that too because we, as you as you said, Marjorie Taylor Greene is now running unopposed. She's the, she's a woman who believes in QAnon, wrote QAnon blog posts for, for a couple of years. Uh, in Georgia for Congress. And she yeah.
1: was going to win the election anyway because she's yeah, in, she was. In, in that part of the world. But but her, her Democratic opponent dropped out mysteriously last week. So you can you can go down any rabbit hole you want. We've been talking around, it, but we haven't addressed directly uh, what Twitter and Facebook are doing and what they should be doing about this. And we know since 2016, they have, and YouTube as well, have, have all taken a sort of belated interest in trying to clean up the platforms and not being allowed it to be abused for all sorts of things. And they are sort of in this perpetual whackable, and I argue that this, they will always be in that by based on the sort yeah. of construction of the platform. But it seems like Twitter has gone out and said, this is bad. We're going to start banning these accounts. Facebook, I think, has done that on a much smaller scale. Uh, What are the platforms doing about QAnon and what should they do?
2: Uh, So Twitter took, I would say, the most decisive action. They took down a bunch of accounts that were uh, participating in what they called swarms. Um, Previously on the internet, I always knew it was being called brigading, where a community would go harass a specific target or group and make it so that person did not want to be in that platform anymore, didn't want to be alive anymore, really. That's the point, is to try to drive people out of public life. So they banned a bunch of accounts that were um, driving people to celebrity accounts, say like Chrissy Teigen's account or something, who was always accused of being part of Pizzagate Mm -hmm. because she's against the president. And that's really the only reason. And they realized this is bad for their platform. If you can't disagree with the president and be a public person without being called a pedophile, then you have a serious problem with your platform. You just do. So they started to take down uh, 70,000 accounts initially a lot more were limited. They really went for it with this stuff. Um, and they've done a better job, I would say, than the other platforms of taking this stuff down. It's hard to enforce, though, as you know, if you don't self-identify initially as a QAnon person, you just create another sock puppet account. There are a bunch of ways to get around mm-hmm. uh, these bans. With Facebook, they did what appears to be one big sweep of some large QAnon groups. But they, the enforcement has been one-off. Even though they promised it wouldn't be one-off, it has been uh, right away, like, they just pop right back up.
1: I was talking with uh, my colleague Shireen Gafari on Slack this weekend about this stuff, and she was saying, you know, a lot of, uh, one of the things the extremists, people who research extremism online point out is that platforms have done a reasonably good job of keeping ISIS off of these platforms. And remember, a f- few years back, there was a lot of beheading videos and terrible atrocities that were showing up on YouTube and the platforms, and they managed to sort of at least tamp that down pretty significantly is there something about QAnon and this sort of stuff that makes it harder for the platforms to grapple with than, than a beheading video? Uh,
2: yes. Um, the The difference really is language and culture and race, right? I mean, I, I still haven't gotten a real answer for this. For example, like with Boogaloo guys, right? So the Boogaloo is this movement that is an anti-state uh, movement, just statism as a concept. They are trying to essentially unravel the state to create a second society.
1: It's a bunch of racists dressed up in camos who are actively trying to cause problems. And these are sometimes the guys who you see breaking uh, uh, glass windows in Minneapolis at the beginning of a George Floyd protest because they want to create more problems.
2: Right, create volatility. Uh, volatility creates a uh, uh, vacuum for government, which they 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 believe they can fill later on. Mm-hmm. So they, they're trying to dismantle the state, put it into one. I saw a bunch of rhetoric Ramping up here. People talking explicitly a few months ago. People talking explicitly about killing DEA agents. You know, they they call them alphabet boys, like as in like lettered agencies, mm-hmm. DEA, um, FBI, that sort of thing. Uh, and they said like we're you know they're trying to go get scalps of these people. And I brought up they are, are literal like,
1: anarchists, by the way. That's well, the, yeah, the, exactly. the idea That's is they want to create anarchy.
2: Yes, uh, it, it might come from a different. Like it might come from the libertarian bent, but right. it's anarchy. That's what it is. So I brought that to Facebook. I'm like, this, is, this looks really bad. And I, I, didn't think, I didn't know it was allowed to just say, like, we're going to go kill a bunch of DEA agents on your, on your platform. What's going on here? And it turns out a couple of days before I emailed them, a guy had already, a boogaloo boy had already killed a cop. And was, it was the, in the interim period of him killing another cop. And afterwards, I asked them. I was like, what's the difference here? Like, this is just ISIS stuff. They are saying, we're going to go kill somebody, and then they go do it. Like, why is this allowed? And then afterwards, they did this purge of Boogaloo stuff. So they're always reacting to the most recent terror attack, regardless of what group it is. And also, if your group has a cool enough name and has enough people in public life willing to defend it, they're just not going to take it down. It's about power when it comes to content moderation, especially on Facebook but also on really any platform. It's about political power and trying not to piss off specific government officials. Um, you so think it's it, that, but, that craven
1: that uh, yeah. the QAnon um, has, a, has, has a receptive uh, place now in the Republican Party or elements of the Republican Party and cracking down on that is bad because either we want to make Republicans happy or we don't want to offend them. I guess they're different ideas. Uh, and it's that simple.
2: Yeah, I mean every content moderation decision made over the past few years sort of buffets that notion. I would say that this is a, you you see this over and over again with people trying to get into the mind of Mark Zuckerberg about, you know, Mm -hmm. is he a Democrat? Is he a Republican? What's his deal? People on the right think he's some like, you know, uh, Antifa member Mm -hmm. (laughs) Democrat and vice versa for the right. But really it's about power. This is what it's about is he's trying to read, you know, he's trying to see where the wind's blowing. And in a lot of these cases, the wind he believes is blowing towards this idea where there are just going to be some militias out there, I guess.
1: Yeah. I guess a more generous interpretation is the one I believe is that he's running a business and he wants to keep the business going, but, but also he, he ideologically, and there's a large strain of this in Silicon Valley that says, who are we to decide what you should believe? And obviously we believe that up is up and there is gravity and black and white are different things, but there's lots of stuff that's gray. And and why should we, or the New York Times, tell you what to think? Um, and I think they they really do believe that. Um, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast believe that, that, yeah. that you should be able to make decisions for yourself. And that's my gut is sort of one of the reasons they're reluctant to do that. I'm also assuming that in this case, maybe they're not thinking this through, but if you do crack down on a QAnon post or a QAnon leader, that that then feeds the story because, ah, Facebook's trying to quiet us down, but we're not going to let them do it. By the way, I see that in some of the Facebook groups that I'm in. They, they're worried that Zucker. they don't want to get zucked. And so they're concerned that Mark Zuckerberg is going to shut down my local Bay Ridge lefty group that I that I, I hang out in sometimes. Um, I don't think he's going to do that. But um, it seems like it's a little, maybe nuance is the wrong word, but harder to sort of explain in, in one sentence why Facebook or Twitter or YouTube is or isn't doing something.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And by the way, when they took down those Boogaloo accounts or when they took down the q and accounts, there's always reciprocal action. They took down... Antifa accounts in the left. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's always some way to not make the story about how there's one one political side. Even if, by the way, even if one political side has more members of the dangerous ideology, they always just try to find a way to, to, to counterbalance it.
1: What do you want them to do? Um, we've laid out, you have laid out a pretty comprehensive and compelling case that this is a pernicious, widespread thing um, that attracts a lot of, well-meaning and vulnerable people, and is a bad force. What should big technology platforms that reach billions of people around the world do about it?
2: Sure, I, I don't want them to do anything specifically. I'm not. I'm not uh, advocating for uh, them to do something specifically. I, I will say that transparency does not exist currently in terms of how these algorithms work, and you know why things are recommended to people. The real issue is people starting off. In a Ted Cruz Facebook group and ending up in a Boogaloo Facebook group in a couple of minutes—that's a problem, um, and that's something that we've seen. You know, why does it trend towards extremists? Anything? You know, and I, I understand this is not a political concept. Algorithms do this; um, they they take you to the most extreme version of something because you know. They in give you of more of what you said you wanted. Exactly. Like I, I uh, five years ago, I kind of liked basketball shoes. And now I, my, my apartment is covered in Jordan and Ultra Boost stuff. It's disgusting and terrible. I don't want it that way. But that is how it happened because I was constantly targeted this stuff by not just Facebook, but by like chum boxes and Taboola and all of these other things. Imagine that, but for politics, just know that there is something in the soup here that drives you down. Uh, towards the most extremist version of something, and then you can accept it or reject it, but it's going to bring you to another one at the end of it, and that's that's what I want because currently we're living in a space where you know there's this constant talk of free speech in the internet, and that's great and that's true, it's what we should have, but at the end of the day, if I talk to a mom who is a liberal in a red state, and she posts a picture of her kids and pizza and some art that's like a little weird uh that person's life sucks for days is that really what speech should be on the internet um that person is now disincentivized to post normal stuff on the internet she can't post pictures of her kids i know so many people like this who are in red states or in you know marginal positions of power or there's a council member or whatever and they limit what they can say that's normal while extremist thought is protected. And that should not be how it goes. That is something I think we can all agree on. And how can we make it so these platforms don't incentivize that behavior? How can we make it so these platforms incentivize people who live their regular lives outside and are happy are allowed to show that? How can we make that happen?
1: It's funny. I, I thought we were going to get to other parts of disinformation in your beat, but but we don't have that much time. Uh, <laughs> um, this is a media podcast. Uh, uh, I do want to just end on on this note. You've been doing great work. Brandy's doing great work. Other reporters are doing great work. If you're not covering disinformation day to day, if you're not covering QAnon, but you are in the media, you you write for a living. You make you make content for a living how should you be addressing QAnon and thinking about it and how should you be explaining it? My gut instinct is to say, this is a bunch of batshit crazy stuff and we should label it that um, and and leave it at that and don't try to sort of engage in it any more than that. Other folks say, no, you need to do more. You can't just let it fester. If you're not on the QAnon beat, what should you be doing?
2: Um, Be aware of it. Be aware that regular people can be affected by this whether that's themselves, they could fall down this trap because uh, their life is a little complicated right now or somebody in their life that they need to talk about, um, that they need to talk talk to about it. This is a real thing. We are seeing it all over the country. It's not even specific to political affiliation anymore. Um, it's not specific to if you live in a red state or blue state. People are really starting to believe this because of how Instagram and Facebook and YouTube work. And even text messages work. It's not even necessarily a platform thing. It's just like it's just the way viral information works now. Realizing that anybody is vulnerable to it is how you should frame this stuff. Um, and also like pay attention when you're talking about the trafficking stuff. We've seen a lot of stuff recently about trafficking busts that have happened. And those those stories go wildly viral under the queue and on premise when it really shouldn't be a really good story about us handling child trafficking. But At the end of the day, this is a disinformation problem that isn't limited to one candidate. And if you think it's just going to stop with this, if you think that, hey, look, um, you know, this is uh, maybe I'm a Trump guy and it's great. All of my enemies are getting what's coming to them because of this. You're not going to like it when it swings back around. This is not uh, the kind of uh, conversation debate politically that you want to have with people if you're just debating if they eat children or not. It's no way to actually, you know, have a conversation about politics in this country.
1: Ben Collins from NBC News. This was a very grim conversation and it was a (laughs) great conversation. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for your work. Thanks so much, Peter. Thanks again to Ben Collins from NBC News. Also Brandy Zadrazdi, I want to say her name correctly and I want to give her credit. She does, uh, shares a byline with Ben on a lot of this really excellent reporting. You should be checking it out. Thanks again to Jelani, who's back from vacation. Welcome back, Jelani, for producing the show, Joel, who edits it. Our sponsors for bringing it to you for free, and you guys for listening. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.